Hey, what's up? Welcome to Basecraft. So I just set up a Patreon page for the podcasts and all the stuff I'm doing. So if you want to support me and can afford the price of a pint or a coffee a month, follow the link in the description and follow me on Patreon or become a patron on Patreon. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to do a lot more stuff this summer with the, the podcast and my YouTube. I've just been really busy the last year because I, I talked about it a bit on the podcast, but not a lot. But uh, I just started a master's in bass in Cork School of Music. So I'm studying under Noel Barr down there and it's going really well. I'm learning loads, but obviously this kind of stuff took a backseat, but I'm off for the whole summer. So I want to go and maybe visit some people from the podcast around Ireland, do some trips to them and hang out with them and make some cool videos and just generally make some more content for this so yeah i'd really appreciate it if you could um follow me on that and support me with you know the price of a coffee once a month is pretty much what i'm looking for um so today my guest is todd bowers todd was the bass player in the steepwater band for 20 years their class blues rock band and he's now currently the bass player in the davy knowles band so um a really good chat really interesting it's a long one guys i know i'm doing a lot of long ones lately i don't know we just seem to get into it talking about bass and just time flies um really enjoyable lots of great info in there and near the end Todd takes out his ripper bass and gives us uh, some samples of what it sounds like, which is awesome because I'd love to get one of them myself. Um, I kind of messed up. I didn't have my mic on, so my audio isn't fantastic, but Todd sounds amazing and he's doing most of the talking, so it's all good. Hopefully it doesn't affect your listening pleasure. So yeah, enjoy the episode. Follow me on Patreon and um, talk to you soon. How's it going over there, all right? Yeah, yeah, good, yeah, just getting my stuff together here I just got back from a tour i was in england oh, did, cool. um i just did three three gigs but one big one it was like a blues fest hrh blues you ever play one of their events uh-huh. like, they do like all the genres and they sell out all their gigs because the tickets are really cheap but then you pay for accommodation so at the festival it was like two thousand people so it was a good good oh, gig. cool was that indoors or outdoors uh, yeah the o2 in sheffield so oh wow cool Good, good one yeah you know yourself <laughs> we played a, a 60 cap venue the night before so uh-huh. 60 people sold 60 out 60 to 2 to 2000 the next day yeah <laughs> that's, that's a big difference that's kind of what happens when you're in a blues band isn't it yeah right every every day is different it seems like yeah it's it kind of depends on the promoters and and you know who the every country kind of seems to have its little niches of 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 that kind of music, you know, like the, whether it's popular or not. Yeah. I think you've traveled away more than I have though. Cause you, you did a so many gigs with Steepwater, like, and you went to every nook and cranny of Europe, I'd say, did you? Um, definitely of Western Europe. Yeah. 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 We did, we, we did a little bit in Eastern Europe, some Polish dates in Poland and Czech Republic and stuff, but, uh, Western Europe for sure. We, we hit a lot. Yeah especially Spain. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Spain. It's just, I think we talked about this before we through email, we were both saying we want to live in Spain. <laughs> yeah. I, I could, I, I could move there in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, except my Spanish is terrible. So I'd have to work on that. <laughs> yeah. Same here. I, I go there a good bit, even just for holidays, but I'm fairly slow at picking up their languages, but uh-huh. that, that's kind of, I think that's just an English speaking people who speak English as their first language. We're just really lazy at learning other languages because all the media we consume is already in our the language we speak. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where yeah, like where in you know in, in other countries they get a lot of English television, so they yeah. they learn English through television or movies and and 
Yeah, and yeah, it's not like I'm sitting around watching Spanish television much. I should. No. <laughs> yeah. There's a few good shows, but no, not as good as like Breaking Bad or something by HBO to, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. watch. I guess I could watch those with Spanish subtitles, right? Yeah, you pick up a bit. Yeah. Since I've already watched them once, I can <laughs> kind of know what's going on. Yeah, you get but, some kind of gist of it. Yeah. Is this your uh, your music room you're in? This is your, your base where you do all your practice? Yeah, yeah. This is my little uh, – it's – my, my 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 wife and I live in a one a one bedroom apartment, but there's two there's a bedroom and then kind of like a TV room and then this room, and I kind of took this room over as like my little my it's a little studio yeah practice yeah. room you know do my computer work on it and recording and that stuff and yeah yeah I I'm kind of gone overkill here because I don't I don't live in a city like you live I live in the middle of like in a tiny town where uh-huh. like I can afford to have a place a big space but really all I need is the laptop and two or three bases but I've gone a bit insane with the amount of stuff I have <laughs> yeah you got a good collection back there yeah 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 I need to, I need to get a uh a you know stand up a double base at some point but it, it I don't think it'll uh, I don't I don't have room for it here. <laughs> no, they're a disaster. Uh, that's a cheap one and I even broke the scroll off it there two years ago but I managed to fix it but oh, really? it actually sounds decent for like uh it was 500 euros which is as cheap you can get a double base for, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's pretty deep, but I had a guest on before and um he was saying if you're getting one of the electric stand-ups don't cheap out get like a proper Yamaha or something because their cheap ones are awful. He said they're just not worth the money at all. Like okay, that's good to know. But I'm playing a bit lately. I'm doing kind of monthly. I do a gig with some friends. We play mainly John Prine songs. Oh, so cool! That's sure. It's it. There's the card changer. So simple. I'm getting away with it. Barely being yeah. played a double bass <laughs> and just playing a bunch of ones and fives and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah and I wouldn't read really too some be too walking stuff. Yeah, very rarely, but I wouldn't be too familiar with country music, but you kind of, once you start listening to one genre, you get the kind of, the gist of the vocabulary, don't you? Even for music sure. like country, like. Yeah, a lot of the changes are the same, or just flip-flopped, you know. Yeah, exactly. So there's always like one kind of, I think most songs have one thing that makes them unique, like something curveball, <laughs> sometimes. Uh-huh. Like. But uh, you're, you're uh, so just to introduce it, you're a, a blues, would you say you're mainly a blues bass player, blues and rock, that's your kind of... Yeah, thing. yeah, I guess that's definitely what I'm, um, you know, that's my back pocket of uh, vocabulary is is rock and roll and blues and um, it's just the music that I, I've kind of always gravitated to when I was mm. younger, it was the music I... Even when, because I grew up in the '80s, so a lot of the stuff I was listening to was kind of more in the hair metal genre. But I even like was I, I got sucked into more of the bluesier type bands, you know, the the Aerosmiths and the the you know, because they were huge in the '80s you mm. know, with their big comeback and some of those bands. So, and I think it was just a natural evolution to to really get into the blues and and I mean, ZZ Top was probably one of the first groups I think I remember getting on my own and, and kind of yeah. like, like getting exposed to with it the, when they came out legs and all that within the, in the eighties, you know, the, the, and then, but then they were the first band I went back and bought their, you know, their older records mm. and just listening to them. And, and th- those records were, had so much more of a raw sound than, than the polished eighties songs. Yeah. The, class. The big... I love, um, Jesus just left Chicago and all those ones off the first yeah, album. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah. Waiting on the bus waiting for the bus is that it yeah but yeah just 
And I remember listening to him when I was younger thinking like, God, this is so heavy, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you never thought... got into the hair metal, even though like it was so prominent in the eighties, you just, you were never in a band doing those kind of tunes around. It was just always rock bands. Me? Yeah. Well, the, in the nineties, um, the first band that I kind of, well, the very first band I joined out of high school, because when I started, it was kind of like when like my buddies in my high school were starting a band and they needed a bass player. And they were like, you kind of know how to play guitar, right? And I'm like, hmm. a little bit, you know, and why don't you buy a bass and play bass? And that was basically the beginning of yeah. me of, of me starting to play. And uh, we were just playing covers. We were playing like some probably very poorly Van Halen and, and Aerosmith and, and some Motley Crue and bands like that, you know. And and then when I was in college, I met Joe, the drummer, Joe Winters from Steepwater. I met him in college and he was really into like bluesy rock and blues. And then, you know, like Guns N' Roses were a little bit more on the bluesier side. And then the Black Crows came out and that kind of was like the 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 big kind of direction turn that I was like, they, they just had so much of a, of a better sound than those 80s. Hmm. rock bands you know to me it, like it's, it sounded more real more authentic you can hear the guitars everything wasn't super processed and 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 uh over overproduced and what know. did you do in college like were you were you always going to pursue the music or was it kind um, of, you fell I into took it some and... I took some music classes in college because I was in you know I was and I was very I was only playing bass for maybe a year when I started playing when I started going to college and uh I was going for art for like painting and drawing and I was going to what, what my before I thought I could be a musician I wanted to, to make album covers and poster art and that mm. kind of that was my I was always into music you know I was a, a, just a music freak you know I had tons of cassette tapes and and not too many records back then I guess I might have had a few LPs when I was growing up really young but it was more cassettes and CDs and then uh but yeah I just uh, I took a few music classes and but really was focusing on drawing and painting and wanted to be on, on the more graphic side of, of the music business, I think. And do you still do that? Like, or did you do it in Steepwater or bands you've been um, in the graphic design? A little bit, you know, kind of half-assed, you know, like I, I would, I would, I did a lot of the poster work for Steepwater and um, I would help with album art, but I might come up with like an idea and when it came down to the final like design of the album or cd artwork i i handed it off to somebody who knew what they were doing hmm. i did i did i did i felt i was always a little bit too worried about like not getting the template right and, and or having something being slightly off center and i'd rather have someone else screw it up yeah, than me thousands, <laughs> thousands of albums printed and everything's like misaligned or something yeah right yeah so uh, you came to it late though like if you're saying what what age do people go to college in america 18 19 is it around yeah 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 you, you graduate from high school at 18 so that's right I, that's right when i started playing bass was 18 it was kind of late yeah yeah same as me i was 17 8 17 18 so did you have like you were just strumming a few chords before that was there any kind of music i barely was even or? i was I, probably not even that i think when i was 16 my my parents bought me a guitar because i was bugging them about it you know wanted to wanted to learn how to play guitar and uh they bought me this really like cheap guitar and it had a speaker built into the body of the guitar a little amplifier you know and i think you could still plug it into an amp mm -hmm. if you wanted to and this you know everything i think i might have even been 
more like a toy. Like it was, mm. they might've bought it at Toys R Us or JC Penny or something. It wasn't like a proper music store or guitar and it couldn't stay in tune. The last thing I could remember doing with it is sitting on my porch, my house, my, my, my parents' house and on this back porch, it was a nice summer day. And I was out there and I was like, I'm going to practice. I'm going to, so I had taken a few lessons at that point and learned a few chords, but the damn thing wouldn't stay in tune. And I didn't have an ear to tune it. And I didn't have a tuner. Yeah. So I probably spent like an hour just trying to get it in tune and couldn't do it and just threw it down on the ground and said, all right, I'm done. Probably the last time I picked it up, you know. Really? Was, okay. So yeah. you had no, you really had no guitar experience till your Yeah, said, barely any. I, I bet I took like maybe three or four lessons on, on guitar, you know, and then I kind of gave it up. Oh, well, and, do you uh, remember what bass you got as your first bass when they told you go get a bass? Like, um, it was a like a short scale learner bass uh, from a friend of mine who also played bass in high school. It was, I think, it was his first bass. I can't remember the brand. Um, it was a really cheap thing, but it was good mm -hmm. enough to like learn a few songs on and get my fingers under it. And and in bass, I seem to pick up pretty quickly. I mean, I don't know if it was just the you know concentrate on one string at a time type of thing, or the strings mm -hmm. being bigger and easier for my hands. Um, but or maybe I was just older, and and maybe it just came everything aligned a little bit easier for me. I don't know. And then. The first proper bass I bought was a uh, an Ibanez EX series, I think. Mm, I don't know. A, I don't. I don't know what. I'll, I'll pop a picture of it up on the screen. I don't think I know that at all. Actually, I, I looked when you know, like when you talk, asked me about doing this. I'm like, I should probably know what bass I bought. You know, like I can't. I, I knew it was an Ibanez. I couldn't remember mm. which kind it was. So I did some research. I'm like googling, you know, pointy headstock Ibanez guitars, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ibanez basses. And, it was, I, I stumbled across a couple ones that looked very familiar. It had like a, um, like, I'm pretty sure it had a P bass and a jazz bass configuration, you know, pickup configuration. Um, it was red kind of sparkly. It was, it was all right. It was, you know, it was a good proper bass for, for me at that point. And I bet I was, I think I got that right after I graduated high school or maybe a few months after I graduated high school. It's not so, really an ideal time to start your music career because, you, you know, when you're in high school, you've loads of time, you've no responsibilities. Yeah. You can literally practice for eight, nine hours a day and uh -huh. no, no one's going to say that to you. D did you have time, like, to put in the, the shed, the hours in the shed? Like, because, you know, there's distractions in college, there's whatever, women, drink, sure, everything. Yeah. Like My shedding, my, my practicing was, I mean, I practiced the songs I needed to learn to play in the, with the guys I played with, but it wasn't like I, um, took, I, I didn't really ever take any proper bass lessons. I might've taken a couple just to kind of get it under my, you know, get, get a little bit of a knowledge about the instrument a little bit. And then when I had, um, when I met Joe, he was in a band, um, and this bass player, this guy, Phil Reiner, He's, he lives in Northwest Indiana and he's an amazing bass player. And I would just go and watch their, their rehearsals and I would watch Phil's hands and he had such a control over the, the instrument and his fingers barely looked like they moved. Like they would mm -hmm. just, they moved up and down the neck, but they weren't like this. He wasn't really like this. He was more like yeah. his fingers really stayed together and they, they just kind of like stayed in these little blocks and it, his fingers never went too far off the neck or off the fretboard. 
And I was just like, I got to figure out how to do that, you know? And, and I took a few lessons from him and then it was basically just kind of, you know, just sitting down and figuring out on my own and learning songs and, and, you know, this is the day, you know, way before the internet and mm. before you could find tabs everywhere. And so you had to sit down and kind of learn everything by ear, you know? Yeah. I, I remember that uh, before the internet, I, I was getting into Jacko, like I was listening to him, but I never, I was thinking, you know, that's impossible. How can you play that stuff? But there was actually a <laughs> guy, guy in my local town, a little bit older than me, who could play all the Jacko bass lines. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was one of these bedroom musicians. I don't think, I don't think he even gigs anymore, but I got okay. to go see him live a few times. And I was just like, it was crazy because I had never even seen a video of Jacko playing and there was this guy in my hometown just shredding could, all the Jacko lines. <laughs> no problem. Oh, that's cool. He was, did you take lessons from him? No, no, I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't think I've ever even spoken to him. I just, oh, okay. You just went saw him. Yeah. He, he's not a music. He doesn't play music for a living. Right? And he was just amazing at playing loads of Jacko lines. He's probably wow. like a solicitor or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Practice like, tw- like, you know, like 20 hours a day, slept a little bit, woke up, yeah. practiced. Yeah, yeah, sure. When you're living in the small town, there's not too many distractions and you can play. I used to practice on my parents' farm. Like we had a, uh, the, the, the practice room was like on, on the, one of the farm buildings. So we could just play till any time we wanted. Sometimes my mother would be like, what the hell was going on last night? I could hear people screaming their heads off at like six in the morning. They're like, <laughs> ah, we were just enjoying it. You know, <laughs> we were in a punk band at the time. So we were just, uh-huh. just really getting into like some all the punk tunes. But quickly evolved from that like to get into more like jazz and blues and all that kind of stuff uh-huh uh-huh so how did you end up so when you met um the drummer from steepwater he had a different bass player so what happened that you and they weren't obviously called steepwater then you formed no this steepwater. was a different band this this was a band called mad world and it was more of a of a you know this was like 1990 and so it was right on that cusp of kind of like slightly it was it was it this band was like Van Halen meets Aerosmith, but I mean, I'm not going to say we were as good as those bands, but it was, you know, aspiring to be like that. Yeah. And, but it was a good band. And, and I just kind of hung out with that band a lot. And this is a different band that, that Phil Reiner played in, but, um, uh, I would just go to their rehearsals too, and just kind of hang out. And I got to know the guys in the band really well. And they, they weren't really happy with their bass player and, I don't think really as far as I think musically, they were kind of going in different directions and it was some personality stuff. And I really, like I said, I just got really, I got along with them. Well, hmm. Joe and I were like best friends and eventually they just kind of, you know, squeezed me into this band. And I sat with the guitar player for, you know, I would go over to his house and practice for hours, just me and him. He would show me the songs and kind of give me an idea of what bass lines to play. And that was really, I mean, it was, it was, shedding like like it was learning a lot of stuff but it wasn't like he was like saying this is he never really told me what i was doing he was just kind of like it was more sight and ear than than it was anything you know i mean like i wasn't learning that this is the one and this is the five and four or three Mm -hmm. or whatever and it was more just like here's the song you're you know and play along and i just tried my best (laughs) and that was that was your study pretty much just yeah yeah yeah. guitars like yeah yeah, and, and it I I it was it was cool, you know. I was I was really young and I was just hungry and wanted to 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 absorb a, a, as much about music as I could. But it, it was also about, you know, the party and trying to, you know, meet chicks and and 
you know, when you're 19 or 20 years old, you're thinking, I'm going to be a rock star in a couple of years. Yeah. This is great, you know. <laughs> it's amazing how good you get at that age as well. Like, you're like a sponge because I would say I could play, I can't play anything now that's more technical than what I could play when I was 18. It's just like yeah. those those early years, you just you get, you soak it all up, don't you? And you just, you get good so mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. Yeah, I've, I've, I could I could play more licks now than I could then, but I you're right. Like I, the the amount this how quickly I learned everything was was just so fast and and you know I was like oh my gosh I can't believe I'm doing this you know this is amazing. Next thing you know I'm playing gigs you know. <laughs> and it's really good for kind of developing your own voice on the instrument as well, isn't it? When you're you're gigging a lot, but you're learning. you're still at the learning stage. Like yeah, yeah. It teaches you to, to re- like when you're playing with other people and, and playing in a band, it, it teaches you to, to listen, you know, like it's not just even about everything you can do. It's about listening to the other guys and playing along with them and, you know, getting along musically. It, it, and that, I think that's a big lesson to learn, you know, is you, you, you can, if you've sat in your bedroom and played all day, but never played in a band with other people, then you're kind of, you know, you're not going to learn that valuable thing about learning to play with other musicians and, and how to not step on everyone's toes and especially a bass player. I think it's really easy to, to get distracted and step on vocals or guitars or, you know, I still, I'm still learning that yeah, <laughs> some funny. restraint. My friend is actually a, a language teacher and he was taught, he teaches um, he, English, but he lives in Spain. But okay. He was actually say, I was asking him about learning Spanish. He said, the, the the worst mistake everyone makes is that they just keep they're in the books all the time and using the apps but you have to just jump in and start speaking it straight away so it's yeah. kind of like that with music it's it's very similar mm-hmm. yeah it's i mean it's all a language isn't it i mean mm. you know in a way and are there any bass players that you really like like i i love in the i think the blues kind of bass playing doesn't really get enough respect it's kind of like people learn the basic blues lines and then they're like uh-huh. oh i'm done with that now but if you listen to like Donald Duck Dunn and Tommy oh, yeah. Shannon and those kind of guys, they, they're doing so such cool stuff with the blues bass lines. You could still learn a lot. People oh, yeah. learn loads from the blues, but they kind of just leave it after they learn like the basic few walking blues lines. Yeah, if you listen to yeah, Duck Dunn especially, like there's there I went through a, a spell of really diving into his stuff and I got a book that's really detailed with a lot of his bass lines and um man, it's like just there, there's so much more going on than sometimes you, than you realize and like, unless you really, you really listen, you know, sometimes if you're just casually listening to, to a Booker T or Otis tune, it's really easy just to kind of think that it's, it's, he's playing something simple, which a lot of times he is keeping it really simple, but there's li- these little things he'll throw in these mm-hmm. little triplets or little, some movement that isn't maybe isn't really difficult, but it's really cool in, 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 yeah. in, in creative, you know, and he's smoking a pipe at the same time. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's some skill to have. Yeah, right. Have you ever, speaking of Duck Dunn, have you ever seen that? Um, it's Neil Young. I think it's from like the 90s, um, live from Red Rocks. No, and never. Duck Dunn's the, the bass player on that, and Jim Keltner's on drums. It's really cool. You should check it out. I don't know if you're a Neil Young fan or not. I, but. I am, but I didn't know he played with Neil Young. I've only ever seen him playing in the Blues Brothers with Booker uh-huh. T. Like, so I never, I didn't know he did a lot of work with people like Neil Young. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if, um, I don't know how many artists he's done. You know, 
session work outside of the blues scene or the R&B scene. But yeah, that's a really, uh, I think he did like a tour with a whole tour with Neil Young. So yeah, that's, you could check it out. Like if you just put Neil Young, Red Rocks, 90s, I don't know if it was like maybe, I don't know, 92, 93, 94, something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Because cool. I had um, Paul Bushnell. He was actually the first ever guest I had on the podcast. Do you know, oh, Irish, yeah? Irish bass player. And he he, do, he played a bunch of Neil Young albums and he, he played Red Rocks as well. <laughs> oh, wow. Cool. Have you, have you done Red Rocks? Because I was saying it's, it's probably one of the places I would absolutely love to play it just looks amazing like yeah i've never played there i've never i've never even seen a show i'd, I'd love to just go see a show there i think too yeah yeah, yeah. it just looks crazy he was saying there's a big tunnel to the stage and everyone writes their name with like a marker uh-huh. on it or something but yeah, yeah i'd say for even like bands that have toured the whole world it's probably like one of those bucket list venues you kind of mm-hmm. can't believe it when you're there like yeah and davy's played there yeah yeah he played davy uh played there in the I don't maybe er, pretty early on in his career here. I think, you know, like maybe like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, yeah, that's that's you're there. You're now in the Davy Knowles band. He's a he's a he's from the Isle of Man, is he? Yeah, yeah. Like the he's Bee-Gees. actually there right now. Like the Bee Gees, they're the only other famous people <laughs> I can think of that the are Bee-Gees from the Isle. and Davy Knowles. Yeah, he's yeah. a phenom- phenomenal player. I've seen him. I've never seen him doing his own stuff, but I've seen him a bunch of times doing the the Rory Gallagher thing. Because uh-huh. he, he's the new kind of for North America, he plays does this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Art. He does all the stuff with with Jerry here. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, he's class. He's an amazing um, guitarist. But I was I was listening to the new album today, the one that you're playing on. Uh huh. It's really cool. How, oh, thanks. How was that experience after like twenty years with the Steepwater, and then going into studio with someone else? Was it just like putting on a an old pair of socks, or was it? Uh, no, it was different. It was different because. With Steepwater, you know, with the exception of the times where we, we had like worked with a big producer, you know, we were all very heavy handed on on producing. Like we were, very, most of the records were, were self produced with Steepwater, and uh, I always kind of like was very like in a throwing out ideas and, and very like uh, I don't know what word I'm trying to look for, but I was just very involved with with the yeah. production and all that stuff and. With this, I just kind of had to sit back because he had, he had a Davy higher producer, and not that I'm just a higher gun. I'm in Davy's band, but um, I just wanted to just kind of like lay low, play, and and kind of like let everything kind of happen. Hmm. And it was different. It was difficult because there were definitely times where I kind of wanted to voice some opinion, but yeah. I kind of held back just because I wanted to be easygoing and just uh, you know let the let the producer and Davy kind of do their thing. Yeah, it's a different yeah. gig, like, and I, that's something you have to learn, I suppose, you know, like, where, when you should voice your opinion, or when you should just, you know, yeah, maybe yeah, not, it's, like, because mm-hmm. I was reading Definitely. a bit, I saw, I think I saw an interview with him, I read it, he was saying, he, he doesn't consider himself, like, just a guitarist, he's just, he says he's a songwriter now, like, he's kind of, he wanted to get away from being the guitar guy, is that kind of where he's going now, he just wants, it's all about the songs, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that he's at least for the past couple of years, I think that he's he's wanted to really focus on songs and and. But at the same time, I I feel like he he loves playing guitar and, and being in, instrumentals yeah, at the same time. It's, it's, yeah, he is. He is. It's there's times where we're playing on stage. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, man? That's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I mean, you you'd have to ask him. You know, 
his, his opinion on that for sure. But um, for this record, we definitely were trying to focus more on songs and not have it be such a, a guitar focused album. Hmm. Um, and it, but I think that might change on the next one. I think we might, he might want to start maybe like go 50% more guitar in the, on the next one than, than was, than was on this. I mean, the, the new record's really cool. And, and when it was done though, I was kind of surprised like, cause we, you know, we, we cut all the basic tracks in Los Angeles and then we, I came home and, and the drummer and the keyboard player, Andrew and, and Jeremy came back and uh, Davey stayed out there to do vocals and more guitar stuff. And uh, I kind of, I thought there'd be a little bit more guitar on the final product mm. than, 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 than it's actually there. But that being said, I think it's a great record. I think the songs are really good. The production's great. I was really happy with my bass tone and, and, and yeah, it was cool. And do you think bands will keep going to studios? Like, you know, you could, you, you could do your bass parts at home. Like if you had a good preamp and set up, do you think people are still going to keep going to studios for the, like the atmosphere of being in a real studio and for um, the creative output you get from going there? Like, I mean, I think that there's reason for both, right? I mean, I, I think that if I'm going to be making a proper, like going and making a record, I like that studio aspect. It kind mm -hmm. of takes you into a place where you're working, you're trying to be creative. Not that you can't be creative at home or cause I've done the home recordings as well, you know, and send some files off to some friends and, and to, for bass for their records, but it's a totally different thing. You know, it's like to have, to be everyone in the room together, you know, even if you're playing to a click or you're not playing to a click, if you're all in the room together, there's something about that chemistry and how yeah. you can play off each other, you know, like, and if you're doing it rem totally remotely, you have to do it to a click. And it's, I, I think just something can, you're going to miss a little bit of something, mm. you know, from not being in the same room. Because uh, Ozzy Osbourne's new album is out and he, uh -huh. he, he actually asked Jimmy Page to be on it. And Jimmy Page just said, I grew up playing in bands where we're all playing in the same room. I, I don't uh -huh. send I don't send files to people, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool, you know, like because everyone else who, who wanted to be on the album, you know, it's cool. Obviously, I'd love to be on an album with Ozzy Osbourne. Who wouldn't? But um, that he could just say, ah, I, I don't send files on the Internet. <laughs> I just yeah. play in the band. <laughs> So is he not on the album then? It no, did, or did, he didn't do he, it. He didn't do it. He, because is is Ozzy's album totally done remotely? Is that the whole? Uh, is I think that so. Yeah, or, it's just loads yeah. of guest guitarists. I think. Uh -huh. I think he he probably did like the main bits in a studio with his producer. Okay, and, he, and then like, everyone else is flying their stuff in, sending it in. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know, and I suppose you you have to do it for something like Ozzy. It makes sense, you know. He's having a big collaboration, but. I'd be the same sure. as you. If I'm doing a record with my band, I want to do yeah. it in the studio. Live, if yeah. you can. I love doing the bait, the tracks live with, get the drums at least live, and then maybe fix things up with the bass and guitar. Like, or... Sure, yeah, yeah. But try to get the drums and bass at the same time, and then if you got to go back mm -hmm. and fix a few things, do it, right? Yeah. yeah that's like, even, that's like... You can leave a mistake sometimes, you know. Except, oh, yeah. I've, sometimes I've left you... mistakes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> There, there's actually been a times where like where it's not necessarily like a a, a raging mistake like a totally bad note but it's mm. something i didn't mean to do and it was i was like oh, i should probably go back and fix that you know i meant to do this and did this mm. and then i listened listened to it i'm like 
that's a great part. Like what yeah. I did was amazing. Like I, and I've had to learn my mistakes. You know, I, like... I actually had the same experience recently. I was yeah. brushing up on some old songs and I did this thing in one of the songs. It's like, what? I never did that before. <laughs> and I was having trouble trying to emulate the kind of weird rhythm or something I did. Like, uh huh. But I, cool. rem- I remember the song, we did about 15 takes of it. So we were really kind of cooking. At the end, the singer just says, for fuck's sake, I'm glad that's done now. <laughs> <laughs> we, we left that on the record as well. It's really low in the mix, but it's there. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. What yeah. kind of band was that? Uh, same band. I've been in this band for 12 years. like so. Okay. And that's the Crow Black Chicken? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So we did that one in a cow shed. It, just the producer came down and brought all these equipment and we just had this shit. Actually, it was my old music teacher who now lives in Chicago. It was his house in Ireland. Oh, wow. When he moved back, uh, I just watched it for him while it was being sold for like two years. Like, It's in like the most scenic part of Ireland. It's just at the end of a driveway down the, in a load of mountains. And all you see is just sheep and mountains and fields. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> but there's no phones, which was really good for, you know, the being in the studio no there's no internet signal or even phone signal which wow. is great for getting the work done but i spent some time there and i just got so bored i just <laughs> i was so isolated it was like this is it takes like 25 minutes to get to the nearest shop so wow wow you think yeah. you think you'd love that kind of isolation but i wasn't really loving it after a few days it's like it's just... <laughs> that that would be kind of cool i mean and that's that's one other thing about going to a studio too is that i and I, I kind of prefer going to out of town studios as well mm-hmm. as a, as opposed to doing like I've worked in Chicago with Steepwater and, and, but when you go abroad or, or, or not really abroad, but when you go out of town where you're, you're in a, a remote studio, it's all you're there to do. You know, mm-hmm. like you're going to go in there every day and you're going to record to eight to 10 to 12 hours a day. And it's all you're focused on. Yeah. Or if you kind of you're coming home every night, you're kind of bringing you're going home, and not that, I don't I don't know if it's that much more distracted, but I, I really I've always loved that kind of like remote studio. You go there and it's you're you're just in it, you know. It's no, no I definitely totally agree. Like I, all of our albums, we did like that where we went somewhere for a week mm-hmm. and just got it done. I can't imagine doing it like coming home every night. It would just be so weird. Like I just you wouldn't really be in the zone. You'd be kind of getting distracted by everything. Like. Yeah, yeah. You don't get you can't get in that creative zone. No, the days are grueling anyway. When you're trying to get a full record done in a week, you're doing like 12, 13 hour days at least. Yeah. Like. But, and one uh, other thing about recording at home, you know, you can't really get that like at least for here, like or at least when I'm from from home here in an apartment, I can't crank up my uh my Ampeg and get like a, you know, the tone I'd love to get. I I can emulate it with some, you know, some plugins or some pedals, but I'm not going to get that exact sound that I would love to have for my live rig or from a good studio amp, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's nice to mix in a bit of the microphone sound when you're doing it live. I wouldn't care if my amp is mic'd up or not. DI is fine, uh-huh. but on an album, it's nice to get a bit of the, the oh, microphone definitely. sound in. Like, Yeah. There was and one the- record Steepwater made, uh, Shake Your Faith, where it's there's not even a DI on it. It's all just microphone really that's unusual usually it's mainly the yeah yeah the i was kind of surprised the producer was like look you got a great rig let's just put a mic on it and go so like all right that's cool Uh, did you work with a lot of different producers because 
uh, most bands kind of just stick with they find someone they like and they stay with yeah. them for their career like did you change producer a lot like we did and, and i don't think it was really necessarily by choice of of it just kind of happened circumstantially <laughs> like we worked with um the first producers we ever really worked with were this these sean slade and paul coldray and they they worked out of a studio in uh cambridge massachusetts and like near boston and uh what was the name of that studio fort apache or something i might that might be wrong <laughs> but uh we, we made the the record uh dharmakaya there and they, they had worked with uh hole the Courtney loves band and mm. they worked with um radiohead too which was kind of they did the the, the creep record Okay, uh, Pablo yeah. Honey, the first, the first one, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, they told us a cool story that uh, they had to do like twenty something drum edits on that creep tune because they only played it one time, or maybe only they might have only got through it once. Hmm. So I guess Radiohead they weren't really huge fans of the song. No, it was a throwaway kind of number. <laughs> yeah, they didn't want they didn't really want it to be on the record let alone a single I don't mm. I don't think and and so but I think the producers kind of knew it was a really catchy tune mm. and so they had to do all these drum edits and they did all like they, when we recorded Dharmakaya we did the same thing everything was recorded on tape there was no computers involved at that point I mean I think Pro Tools was around definitely around when, when we made that when we when we made that record but uh um they edited everything on tape did you guys have no, you ever I, seen like I've the, ne- doing never, the editing on tape? No, I know how it works with the blades and yeah, like yeah. Has to do it. Yeah, they they showed us how to you know because like, there was like a tune where I remember we came in like I felt pretty good and Joe's like man there was just one you know a couple times where my snare might have been a little bit late you know and they're like you want to see us fix it so they got the tape out you know put put the tape up on the on the machine mm-hmm. where at first they you know they slow it down yeah and they find the they find the hit that they want to fix. And then they put the the tape up on the on the tape machine where there's these hmm. little edges you could see. I, I don't know if you you probably seen the tape. I've machine seen the machines you, in the studio, yeah. like they're kind of just like ornaments at this stage. Like. Yeah, yeah. But there's like a little like a, right where the tape kind of fits in to where the heads are. You can lift it up, and there's a little like like I wouldn't say it's a shelf, but it's a little platform where there's like little grooves on there where they hmm. can cut right. Yeah, like where the blade fits in, and they put the tape up there and cut out about you know like that much of a or maybe even less of the or tape. When they're doing like a fade, don't they do like a different a cut a, 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 ang- at a an different angle? angle? Yeah, you yeah. might be right. Yeah, that's crazy. That's such a skill, yeah. like a lost skill. But like mm-hmm. to be able to do that, you'd have to have done thousands of records. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, you, if you, what if you do? If you mess it up, do you put the tape back in? Yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how, how do you fix your mistake? But how do you fix the how how do you fix the mistake of the mistake? Um, yeah, but today yeah, we have it's, today can be a bit of a pain as well because we've unlimited tracks and unlimited chances yeah. to revise stuff, and you just don't know when to say it's done, really, do you? Like sometimes. Yeah, and that, that's another good thing about going to a proper studio too. I kind of feel like that gives you a smaller window mm. of opportunity, right? Of because yeah. if you're if you're doing something at home, you can do so many takes of a tune or base, you know, bass takes or or guitar takes or whatever. So you're happy with it and you know like fine 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 tune everything perfectly where if you're playing live as much as you possibly can and you kind of have to like 
put it to bed. You have to, yeah. you have to be kind of comfortable with putting it to bed and, and, and letting let the, let the, the song roll or the recording roll mm-hmm. as it, as it is, you know? Um, I think that's, that's something I, I really admire a lot. A lot like, like Neil Young for me, like that's one thing I really like love about him. I, if you read multiple articles about how, you know, he only did songs one or two or three times in the studio at the most, you know, he was like, I'm moving on. Like I, we got it, <laughs> you know, he did, a cool too. he did a cool album um, called the noise in the about mm-hmm. 10 years ago. And that was crazy sound album. It was just him with a guitar with loads, an amp with loads of reverb and feedback mm-hmm. and just singing on his own. I really liked that, that record. It was unusual. Like. Yeah. Didn't uh, Daniel Lenoir produce that? I think. Yeah, that's where the name came from. It was like Le Noise. That's where he. Uh huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's it. I love that. Like when you're playing the bass, you usually kind of get only one day, don't you? The suit. Well, that's how it usually works for me. It's like today is bass day. Mm-hmm. Do your bass, and then you can listen to guitar parts for the rest of the week, and <laughs> just hang around the studio. Is that the way it yeah. worked for you as well? Um, for the most part, yeah, yeah. With with it depends on on, on the the circumstance of the studio, but it kind of yeah. You know, you, you do all your basic tracks you can, and if you have a fix-it day, you kind of have, yeah, the bass player kind of gets one day or a couple hours <laughs> yeah, get to, it to fix everything. And do, yeah. do you sing as well? No, I don't really sing much, no. Not I wish I could. Yeah, same here. Like, if people always say, it'd be great if you sang a bit. I was like, well, it wouldn't, for the, wouldn't be great for the audience. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's not enough auto tune in the world to fix my uh, no <laughs> fix same my here. voice. Uh, and do, when you were in the studio, would you go through use a lot of basses? Generally, I don't really do that. I just use whatever I have live. I I don't I don't be like trying all the different basses in the studio to get like a great sound. Run. I just kind of use whatever I'm familiar with. Um, it it kind of de- like I've used. It depends on the circumstance, you know. Like if um there was one a couple studio sessions where I used a bunch, uh, a record called Clava that Steepwater made. I think I used like at least four or five different bases on, and then shake your faith. I probably used about four or five. Hmm. Um, Cause I was able to travel with them and, and bring them all. So I like, I wanted to get different tones on different songs. I re- I was doing a lot of Hofner stuff in the studio too. Like, um, excuse me i was using hoffner a lot to record with but it's you don't want to put hoffner on every song no it's it's very you have one there i got a lend of one off my friend where is it there behind my head Mm -hmm. it's a fake one like uh, harley benton but they have a very unique sound yeah yeah it pops out of the mix brilliantly but you, you don't want it on every song i'd say no no yeah it i was going through a big mccartney phase at that point too and 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 I, I feel like there were some Steepwater songs that just really called for that kind of vibe and, and, and tone and went for it. Yeah, I've I've, I've used, um, but for like the, the last Davy record, I only brought my uh, my Ripper, my P bass, and I think I used a Jack Cassidy, which I have I have a Jack Cassidy here, but I didn't I didn't bring it with mm. me. But they happen to they have one, they had one at the studio, and uh, um, I used that on one song or two i can't remember but yeah i had yeah. one before i went i had one for a tour before a jack cassidy it's cool uh-huh. i like i prefer the where the this where is it the alan woody the one see the i see of, it yep mm-hmm. that's the nicest um short scale kind of bass in that style i've ever played i think it's really cool like 
And those kind of have a Hoffnerish kind of vibe too, don't they? I mean, like, yeah, they, they might have more. Um, I, I've played them. I, I've never owned one, but I, I, I've just from playing them, I know that it was kind of modeled after like a, a club Hoffner, right? Yeah, but it he, has a little bit more. He designed the whole thing like for his own specs, you know, exactly mm -hmm. what he thought it should be like. Yeah, but it, 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 the tonal options are maybe a little. There might be more options than a, than a, a Hoffner would have. But you can kind of get that kind of vibe out of that bass, I think, if you wanted. I found it's really good for uh, like doing like synth bass sounds and crazy effects. Okay. Uh, I thought like I was the only one who knew about this, but I saw um, Ian Allison was saying that the hollow basses give a more like true signal without a lot of overtones and stuff. And the mm -hmm. effects, it works better with the effects because it's just getting that one signal and whatever uh -huh. the science behind is it. But other people are onto it as well so surprise <laughs> so that kind of hoffner sound is really good if you're putting yeah. loads of effects pedals into it okay i'll have to try that yeah that dude's that dude's out of his mind ian from from, from scott's it's, bass lessons yeah I, he's class i love him yeah. on instagram he's really um i learned a lot from him actually in the last few years just in terms of sit pedals and how they work and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. yeah he's he's really in a the, the synth stuff and and uh I mean, I was watching a video of his with about compression and he uses, what are those called? The Cali 76 or something yeah, like yeah. that? Or what's the name of the, the what's the brand? Uh, I can't no remember. Noble. Is it Noble? That's the preamp. Noble's the DI, the preamp yeah, yeah. he uses. The, um, the compression, I can't remember, but man, they, they sound so good. Hmm. Yeah. Like I've, I've used com quite a key quite a bit of com i've used different compressors through my life but i've always kind of i've always had one on my board almost always yeah i don't have one at all i must get one i it, i understand how compression works but it's, it's kind of hard to get your head around isn't it sometimes, yeah like... it's and it's it sometimes it can be used sometimes like i like it live and some like but usually i like it more open sounding and, and like mm -hmm. to have more control over the dynamics myself but in the studio yeah like I like to squash the shit out of it. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, and not so much that it takes away like your tone, but kind of how I, like um, Ian talks about in one of his videos. If you really, if you play with the compression and you have the compression on while you're recording, which I kind of feel that's important instead of yeah. instead of just slapping it on afterwards, actually having it on while you're like and having that sound in your headphones, it makes you play a little bit different. If you play kind of quiet, like soft. It kind of the bass really can be big sounding mm. can make every note really kind of sing and brings out could kind of bring out nuances in the notes which is cool you know and do you use other effects at all or is it just kind of compression and stuff like that um i use uh i'm looking down at my board i have i have some fuzz that i use sparingly and an envelope filter and then i have some other stuff that's more like like i have eq pedals that i have on all the time for different yeah bases and uh i have one of those uh sonic stomps from bbe that i use all the time that's kind of a nice uh a pedal that i stumbled across it saw a guy playing in a small blues car blues bar in uh lincoln nebraska and i'm like man your tone is amazing it's like it's this little pedal right here so it's called sonics sonic stomp from bbe okay. and it's it's what it says it does is it just has two knobs it has a it says low contour or uh, process, and it's basically like high and lows. And what it's supposed to do, it's it says like that your 
the low frequencies even travel slower than your high frequencies do through your cables. Mm-hmm. And what this thing is supposed to equal them out and kind of to where they hit your amp at the same time. Never heard this. this yeah, and I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it's like milliseconds, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's not like it's, you know, the delay is that huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just supposed to, it just, it just puts a little bit of, special sauce on top of the tone i don't know (laughs) (laughs) cool i might check are they expensive those pedals no they're they're actually pretty cheap i think you can get them for under 100 bucks or right around 100 yeah i'm supposed to be stopping buying pedals because i might get that one because you just it's just a never-ending thing isn't it you just have it is yeah all these fuzzes and stuff Uh uh-huh i've gone through quite a bit of fuzzes and, and the one i'm i've been digging lately is this it's called the um called the ass master <laughs> it from um i think it's malaco malaco hmm. and I, I it's like a copy of a um a maestro fuzz so it kind of has like that 60s real you know late 60s kind of nasty well I, I think i read that the larry graham used the old um maestro fuzzes so that's why oh, cool. i, I kind of got the idea yeah, he used it in his um dvd well, if that's yeah. what another one, um, where he's in, he's in, you know, all white suit, all uh, white, yeah. <laughs> all white base, <laughs> with a gold hardware. That's yeah. his classic DVD. That's that's yeah. what he's probably using. I, I I think I either either I had that DVD at one point, or I borrowed it from a friend, and I was like, it was amazing to watch. But I'm like, how do you learn anything? He wasn't. He was just like. Like, yeah, like, he's just playing like he crazy. wasn't really explaining how he did anything he just did it right like it's, no, it's it wasn't hilarious. slowing things down for you or anything it was just like a, a clinic of him just going you know showing you how it's done which is amazing yeah but, it's such a funny dvd it's kind of it's just great comedy value to it as well like, uh-huh. he's, he's brilliant in it yeah he is have you ever seen the, the rick danko one uh, he's no, like, i did i didn't know he even did one he did one and He's like sitting in the basement of his house. He's got this like Hawaiian shirt on. It's kind of like later on in his life, mm. you know, and and it's it's funny too. Like he's he he kind of cracks himself up and he's kind of silly and goofy and it's 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 a treat. You, you should check it out. I, I think there's a couple clips on YouTube. Nice. I think that was like in the eighties. That must have been a big market for them because they were kind of getting everyone to do bass mm-hmm. DVDs. And some of the guys they were asking would never have taught bass or even. They, they wouldn't really be even thinking about how they play the bass. And then they get asked to do a DVD. They're like, okay, so this is what I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of, if, if I had to do a DVD, it'd be the same thing. I'm like, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you don't teach at all. You never got into um, teaching. I got into teaching recently just with pandemic. I had to f- kind of force my hand into doing something. Hmm. So I did a few online lessons um you know, like right when right when the lockdown started happening i was all like all right i got to figure out some way to make some you know keep the money going and stay you know stay focused and and i wanted to stay as because with the davy band we were like really on a roll and we were touring a lot up until the pandemic we were actually set to like we were on the way to record that record uh in march we were supposed mm-hmm. the studio sessions were supposed to start i think like the 20 the 20th or something of March. Oh God. Yeah. In LA. And we were on route on the way out there. So like the band was really hot and we were fi- mm. firing in all cylinders. And then we just got like, you know, like everyone, you know, the rug got pulled out from underneath you and, and then you're just sitting at home for days and I wanted to stay busy. I wanted to be, you know, 
wanted to stay musically busy somehow. And so I, I kind of started doing some online teaching. And then I got a student here in Chicago that I, a, you know, a, a friend of mine that that's, he was a big Steepwater fan for years. And, and, hmm. but he always wanted to play bass and never touched it. So it was, he was a total beginner. So like someone like that, that doesn't know anything. I feel like I can kind of teach yeah. that. And I, and I kind of, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of joking. When I say, I don't know what I'm doing at all, but it's not like I'm totally schooled in like this jazz world or, and, and know every little thing I'm doing. And it's mm-hmm. kind of funny. Cause I've, even when I've ever sat down like, okay, I'm, I'm going to learn the modes today. I'm going to, I'm going to mm-hmm. sit down and actually I'm going to get these under my, my, I want to have these in my back pocket. I want to know. And I'm like, I already know what I'm doing. I already do this. Yeah, I already yeah, use this do. mode like crazy, but I didn't know that mm-hmm. I was, you know, I just, and and I, I kind of feel like it, it hurt me because I would, I would realize that. And I would kind of like, just, okay, I don't need to learn them because I already know them. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. properly learn, you know? And so I feel like in the last couple of years being forced to teach and, and, and being in the pandemic and kind of having a lot more time on your hands, I've, I've, force myself to kind of get those under my wing a little bit more and kind of get a better grasp of, of those things, you know, or at least I'm like, at least I'll pick this mode and pick this mode and this one, maybe that I don't know them all, but at least I know the essential ones, mm. you know, yeah, it's, it's great for your own bass playing to teach. And you probably find that your own playing is improving loads just because yeah. you're analyzing, especially your technique. You really start thinking about technique because you start seeing people's fingers flying and you're like, Oh, how do you stop that? And you have to figure yeah. out exercises. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, like the same thing like when I, was, when I was seeing my friend Phil play back in the day, I saw his hand, how close he kept everything to the, to the neck. And I would see photos of myself playing and I would have my pinky would be flying off here. And, <laughs> or th- this hand would look goofy. And like, all right, I got to work on like keep, mm. keeping my, you know, keeping everything home a little bit more, you know, and, and, and trying to really be more uh, efficient you know, because mm. like, th- th- that's the thing. It's not, it's, it's, it's about being efficient, you know, like yeah. you're, if your efficiency is better with your hands and your technique, you're going to be able to play smoother and better and, and more in the pocket and your chops will be faster too. Right. Like, yeah, I'm still not back to it. Like, I got a massive blister on the last tour because no. <laughs> I used to play in a home in the shed, but then when you're playing live, it's a totally because different thing, man. I had a crazy blister, like my whole, and then I, I switched to using a different finger and I got a blister on that. I was like, <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad this tour is over tomorrow because I don't know if I, I was trying to play all the songs with a plectrum then. I play a bit of plectrum, like, but uh-huh. to try and play the two hour set when 90% of the songs are done with fingers, it's very hard to change to using plectrum. Oh, yeah. Whole. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I, I could, when I'm sitting at home, playing with my Hoffner Hoffner you almost have to play up with a pick you know it kind of mm. feels wrong to play with your fingers or if I'm in the studio I could sit down and be real like you know soft and play with a pick I, I could do it but if I had to I've, I've tried to do it live and I'm all over the place I'm so sloppy <laughs> I, I need my fingers but I've, I've done the same thing before like I remember I think I had these terrible blisters on both fingers coming back from my honeymoon like Steepwater had hadn't taken much time off at all. And, but we, you know, took maybe like a week off for my wedding and then another week off for my honeymoon came back and then we had like a slew of gigs and like the very first one, man, I just plowed into my base, like 
like old, like thinking it was old, like, like, like I hadn't, you know, missed a day hmm. and I had these two huge blood blisters oh. on my fingers. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> yeah. I think it goes for anyone listen, you sh- I, it was Stu Ham kind of was saying, let the amp do the work. You have to yeah. crank your amp and play really lightly. I kind of mm-hmm. forgot about that because I was playing at home at the pandemic and I was like, shit, why am I digging in so much? I just, I should just turn up the amp play. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, sometimes it's hard. Cause like if you're playing live and you're, you know, you have your amp set and you're having a hard time, you're, you're digging in because you want to like, you need more volume out of your, your amp and you, to, to hear yourself, you're digging mm-hmm. in a little bit more. At the same time, I've always kind of felt like, I mean, sometimes, sometimes I'm not worried about, it. I'll go back and turn my amp up, but some, some gigs it's like, do I want to turn my amp up? Am I going to piss off the sound guy? Yeah. Am I going to blow the vibe on the stage? If I, what if I turn up too much? Hmm. Yeah, you can go around chasing your tail, so it's kind of difficult. But it, but if you can kind of do that trick at Soundchecker before the gig starts, <laughs> crank the amp up and play lightly, yeah, and you'll have more headroom, right? Like you won't have to dig in as much. And yeah, you're you're an amp guy. I find it real. I just play like a a two by ten uh, amp all the time. But obviously at festivals, you always get the fridge like the eight by ten. Yeah, and I find it really hard to control. <laughs> like it's like it's yeah, so the powerful the volume, like. The eight tens could definitely be a little bit much. I, my my personal rig, I have a six ten, which for some reason it's only two less speakers, but it seems like it's way easier to to kind of control. Hmm. And and also, I ninety percent of the time I use a V four, which is only a hundred watts, and not three hundred watts like hmm. the SVT. SVTs sound amazing, especially the the vintage reissues or the old ones. You know, to me, they just have this special character about them. But I mean, for ninety percent of the venues we play, that's way too loud. If it, yeah. or it's it's going to be too loud by the time I get it to where I want it to sound good. You know, mm-hmm. like before I before it's doing what I like, it's going to be too loud. But the V four, I can kind of control it a little bit more and have a little bit like the vo- the stage volume won't be quite as loud. And I'm not pissing off everybody. I saw a, a funny post from someone on the internet the other day and. They were saying that during sound check, what they've been doing is they start really low. So then the sound guy or, or someone in the band goes, Hey man, I can barely hear you. You got to turn up. And then you kind of get the green light to turn up. So oh, nice, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm stealing that idea from here on out. I'm going to start low and then, Hey man, I can't, I can't really hear yeah. you too well. You should pr- turn up. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. Crank it. I, I don't, yeah. find, I don't find bass players generally are to our culprits for the loud. It's always the guitarist. Yeah. For for their solos and stuff, they're like, they they like to just crank it. Yeah, I, I've been accused of of being a loud bass player, but uh, I I it, not not necessarily a, by a bad thing always, but some sometimes I've gotten some you know it's some snarls on stage from mm. people, but for the most part, it's it's about like you know I I, I want to play for the room and I want to I want to play for everything, but at the same time I feel like. I mean, I'm I'm an old school type of dude that likes old 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 music. Who and and, the, and those old bands they turned up loud on stage. Yeah, you know, and they didn't have. I I'm I'm not gonna get in ear monitors and start playing with no amp or mm. or playing with like some kind of like total sans amp type of situation. And I feel like a lot of like today's sound men, when you play like a festival or in a situation where it's like they hire these guys in like i think they're they're getting more and more used to like having total yeah. freaking control of every little thing right 
and they don't want much stage volume. They want to be able to control the PA and not have to fight anything. And that those usually it's they're usually you're gonna I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna butt heads, but even any band I'm in usually kind of butts heads with that type of situation because I'm in a I'm with Steepwater or Davy. It's like we're we're playing a little bit loud, you know, and and. I don't think we're the loudest thing in the world, but we're not playing quiet either, you know? Yeah, well, you're, at those festivals, those sound engineers, their bread and butter is probably just doing, you know, pop gigs and country yeah. music. And then these blues rock guys come in and they're like blowing the, their amps are like up to 10. So yeah, it is. Yeah. It, that's it. Yeah, they're just not used to it. But you have to have that volume to, to really get the sound. Because I, I don't use in-ears either. Like, well, have earplugs in, but that, but then I need to be even louder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've... What was I gonna say? Like, uh, and, and but then then like sometimes you find a sound engineer that's from kind of that that old school vibe, who you know like man, you guys' tones were killing tonight. You're like it was so easy to mix you guys because you guys gave us great tones and mm. your stage volumes were good. And so I, I'd say it's about you know it, it's about fifty fifty that that we run into a a, a kind of like sound uh, you know. I was gonna say sound Nazi, but that's volume, probably not too <laughs> volume volume Nazi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually got. I was talking to a friend of mine. He knows he's a big Steepwater fan. Graham Robertson. Do you, do yeah, you know yeah, him? yeah. Scottish guy, and uh -huh. he was saying he wanted to know a bit about the recording of Grace and Melody, the album you did with um, Mark Ford from the Black Crows. Uh -huh. Do you have any kind of abiding memories of that particular album? That was a cool record to make. It was. It, we all really learned a lot about making records. Cause we had done the one record with Paul and Sean that did the, the, um, the Radiohead stuff, but they basically let us just kind of go in there and rip and, and play our tunes the way we rehearsed them. And they were just all about like getting the great take, making sure the tempo was up to speed and making sure we didn't mess up. Right. And making, we played steady. That was kind of more of their deal. Like it's like, get, a, get the energy, get the tune where Mark, for the most of the songs that when we, when we brought the songs in there, he dissected them and it was like, like a dissection on the spot. Like we, we sent him demos, but he didn't send us ideas back or say, Hey, I have this kind of vibe idea for this song yeah. or that it was, we didn't know him until we got there. And we had, I believe we had like two weeks booked at the studio and there was like a, maybe like a, a three or four day break in between like maybe two or five, like five or six day sessions. Maybe it was, I, I can't remember all the details, but maybe it was seven, seven, like then four days off and then another seven days. And it was really cool because, you know, like I said, he really, because we, we, we had these arrangements of these songs, we rehearsed them. We were all ready to record them the way we had rehearsed them and, and, and arranged them. And then he just kind of like, disintegrated all those ideas that's mad did you find that yeah. hard like as a band you probably never had a producer who was so i suppose that's more of a producer in the more like traditional sense of, like in the pop world where they dissect the songs and they really take yeah. them but, but a lot of rock bands are more used to having the producer be way more hands-off he's like like the engineer and he might add a few ideas so uh -huh. was that weird for you guys experience it, it, it was weird it was an adjustment you know it but at the same time it, it, we were all huge black crows fans and huge fans of mark so we trusted him you know like it was i don't i think if we hadn't trusted him it would have been a totally different situation and we i learned so much about 
bass playing, about laying back, about kind of giving this like, like I remember he was talking the story. I can't remember what song we were playing, but we were playing this tune and it was very early on in the session. And he was kind of like saying like, cause we, I don't think we recorded any songs with a click. If we did, it was like maybe one or two. And he was like saying like the guitar should almost kind of be with the snares in the front of the beat and the bass and the kick drum should be back here at, he was like kind of like describing mm-hmm. how to get sw- a, a, like a good swing between us. He's like, mm-hmm. he's, he's like, you guys are almost too tight. Yeah. Like, I want, I want, I want you guys to stop playing so so much together and, mm-hmm. and kind of separate yourselves a little bit so there's more air in the music. And that was that was a big eye opener, you know. That that and it, that was a hard thing to do too. Like just, I just remember like just trying to lay back as far as I could on that beat, you know, mm-hmm. without without falling back too far or pulling or slowing things down. You know, yeah. I didn't want to slow things down either. So, um, but it was, it was interesting. It was really cool to, to, to work with him and, and kind of like rip those songs down and then build them back up again. And they, I, I, I love the record. It's great. It's a really cool record. There's one song where you do, it's very jammy. It's a really long song. And oh, it's like the, a dueling guitar thing going on. And I thought that uh-huh. was class. That was really, Usually, if I was there, I'd be like, no, we can't have a guitar solo for like four or five minutes. (laughs) It really works in that song, the way he put it together. Like, yeah, yeah. We, well, well, that was, I'm trying to, I think that was recorded kind of like mid to later on in the sessions. And we we had recorded a couple tunes and we were, we, 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 we started this tune called All the Way to Nowhere. And we were doing it and, we were recording the tune and there's Mark had some kind of idea for a guitar part and he was showing Jeff and I'm like, dude, why don't you just play guitar with us? You know, like you got this idea for, and that kind of opened the floodgates. And then uh, from then on, he was almost playing guitar, like a rhythm guitar hmm. on every track. And then when we got to waiting to be offended, that long track that you're talking about, it's, I think it's like at least, at least 13 minutes, right? If not longer. <laughs> yeah, <it's... laughs> that's a nice length of a track. Yeah. I think on the LP, it's all almost the whole side of one, one side mm. of the record. And, um, and there's actually quite a bit edited out of that take. Like there is. <laughs> <laughs> you must we, we really kinda... be feeling that one in the studio. Yeah, just going yeah. on for like 15 uh-huh. minutes. But that was, that, yeah, that was a cool part to, to record that tune and, and have, have Jeff and Mark going back and forth, playing guitar back in, in, dueling leads and all that it was it was it was a trip and you met him on tour was it the black as a support band was that how he hooked up with mark was it yeah we had met him um steepwater opened up for uh for mark i think i'm trying to remember the the timeline we opened up for him in spain um in in uh where was it it was like near bilbao not not where they have where, where's that Esquina? that's that's Victoria Gastiz. It's right around that area. Mm. It, 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 but it wasn't, it wasn't the, the, um, Eskina festival. It was a, mm. another like kind of, you know, outdoor deal, out, outdoor kind of festival kind of vibe. And, um, <clears throat> we were playing two nights. We played one night we played and we did all covers. And then the next night we did a steep water set. And then one night, Mark, we actually went on after Mark, which was a head scratcher. Like, I don't think it, was, it wasn't like that. We were really the headliner. It was just we were the the late band. Like, cause in Spain things go until like you know oh, 
Stop. four or they're five crazy. in the morning, you know, they're crazy. Yeah. Like they never yeah. go to sleep. Yeah. So Mark had like the proper headlining spot of probably mm-hmm. like, you know, nine at 11. And we went on at like 1130 to like two in the morning or something. They call that uh, deadlining in Ireland at the metal gigs. <laughs> Cause this is, it seems like you're the headline band, but you're, you're deadlining. There's no one there. Everyone yeah. is too drunk but to in, appreciate but, it. But in Spain, they're still there. Yeah. Yeah. They're only yeah. started. <laughs> they're not ready to go home yet. So, um, yeah. So like, yeah, we, 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 um, we had Mark come up and sit in. Well, actually we asked Elijah, Elijah Ford was in Mark's band and we, we uh, asked Elijah if he wanted to sit in on a tune and he, he was really young. He, he might've been 16 or 17 at the time. He, was, he hadn't really been out playing much. And um, he plays bass with Gary, Gary Clark Jr. Now. Oh, fast. Yeah. I've actually seen him because I saw Gary Clark at last okay. a few years ago. So if he, all right. I, I think he's, I think he's only been in the, in the band maybe in the past year. Okay. He joined Gary Clark's band, um, but he played guitar with Mark. He he plays both guitar and bass. He's he's great at both, um, and he sat in with us on a tune, and then we had Mark sit in with us, and we really just got it. We did Cortez the Killer by Neil Young, hmm. and then I think he started Alabama by Neil Young, and I didn't know it, so then I handed my bass off to Mark's bass player. So it kind of turned into like this big jam session. It was really cool. That's kind of unusual, though, isn't it? Like, because we've done a lot of support slots, but. Generally, you wouldn't have much time to hang out with the people you're supporting. It's kind of like yeah. uh, cut, handshake, hi guys, then people go to their green rooms, and that's yeah, it. yeah. That doesn't happen too often where you get to become to jam with them and kind of become mates. Like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. You know, I mean, it was still kind of like we didn't really talk to Mark. He was kind of, you know, this elusive character sitting in this green room. You know, but we asked Elijah to jam, and I think that kind of opened the gate. And he was like, oh, that's cool. You're having, you know, Elijah up. And then we asked him and he was cool. And, 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 and then like a week later we played in Chicago and we opened for Mark at the double door, this, you know, historic venue that's not there anymore mm-hmm. um, in Chicago. And that was right around my birthday. And he had Jeff and I come up and sit in with his band that night. And, and then man, like a couple, I think one of his, Someone in his road crew came up to me later that night and said, you know, we were listening to your guys' record in the van, you know, he's, he was really liking it. And he kind of mentioned something about being, you know, interested in producing you guys. Mm. And I was like, really? That's cool. So then Mark was playing up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is maybe like, I don't know, three or four hours from here, from north of Chicago. And um, we decided to drive up there to go see him. And saw him play. I got to sit in with him in this band that night, which was pretty wild. I actually got it, got on stage mid song playing, uh, cocaine by, mm. by Eric oh, Clapton. They, they were doing that. And, and Mark, Mark Dutton, the bass player, like kind of, you know, said, Hey, come up here. I'm like, right now. He's like, yeah, he, he, you know, motions to come up. And I, he hands me the bass. I'm like, what key are you in? And then I, mean, I, 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 I think I'd play the song maybe like four or five times in another band I was in <laughs> and kind of remembered the groove a little bit and just went with it. And it was, it was pretty cool to do that. But uh, anyways, like, like later that night, we kind of, we talked to Mark and he even says like, Hey, like I'm making records out in California at the studio. He's like, if you ever find your way out there, you know, I'd be interested in producing you guys. And we were like, all right, we'll figure out a way to get out there, you know? And, 
we just made it happen. And did you get, do you get, I always regret sometimes not getting pictures when I do these gigs with people because I don't want to be annoying people asking for a picture, but then in hindsight, you're thinking, I wish I had it because we, we support the ZZ Top ones. And uh-huh. um, just before we went on stage, Dusty was to the side of the stage, just chilling out. He, and I was thinking, will I go get a picture? And I didn't. And now I'm like, Fuck, yeah. I should have got that picture with Dusty. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah, I'm not a big like picture guy with people. I've, I've done it with a few here and there. But yeah, I wish like, well, there's pictures of me playing with Mark on stage. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of photos of us doing making the record Grace and Melody, which I, I can send you some. Cool. Um, but yeah, there's been a few few times we've opened up for people like uh, ZZ Top. We opened up for ZZ Top once, and and like I said, that was one of the first bands I can remember really getting into, and mm. and and uh, that would have been cool. I, but we didn't meet any of those guys. They were kind of in their own little 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 bubble. Oh, we were so green. Like we we had never done a gig really like yeah. that, and uh, we were eat we were eating in the green room. Well, actually, we only got told we were doing the gig four or five hours before the gig. We just got a phone call saying wow. want, we had bought tickets. We were all going to the gig as, you know, punters. <laughs> 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 but uh, we were backstage then eating dinner with ZZ Top and we just left all our crap backstage and someone taps on the shoulders like, you clean up after yourself backstage, guys. <laughs> we're like, oh shit, it's not, we're not being rock stars. We've never actually been, <laughs> been backstage. This is our gig. first time. <laughs> yeah, it's our first time supporting someone as big as ZZ Top. We yeah. just assumed like there was crew everywhere to clean up after you, but uh-huh. it was it was a class thing to do. Like, but uh, you when you leave in the sea water, that must have been kind of a massive life changing thing. Like it's it's like a marriage, isn't it? Like twenty years with the one band. Like, yeah, it was it was it was it wasn't easy to do. It was it was the hardest decision I've ever made to to leave that band. It was it was tough. Um, but I, I, I think I made the right decision and, and it was just, it was just kind of like time, time for a change. Um, yeah. 20 years is a long time with anybody. Hmm. And I mean, and, but there's been bands that have been together, obviously a lot longer than that. And, but there's been bands that didn't last even, you know, a fraction of that. So, um, you know, I love those guys. I, I, I sorry, I'm getting a little hoarse. I guess I haven't been talking this much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been a while since you've talked for like this. That's the, that's the COVID. We're not used to like having these yeah. big long chats with people. I know. Just sitting at home playing my bass. But anyways, yeah. Um, I love those dudes. We get along. And we we, we actually, yeah, we, we we did a gig together. Davey and, and Steepwater played a show up in uh, Minnesota a few months ago. And it was, it was fun. We had uh, Jeff and Eric sitting with the band and, and yeah, it was cool. Um, but yeah, I keep in touch with them. We text pretty often, you know, almost every week. I mean, Joe and I go back even further than that. Like Steepwater formed in 98. Hmm. We had met, um, Jeff in 96 and I met Joe in like 90 or 91, something right around that time. So, um, yeah, I've known Joe almost, just my mother. She always rings me when I'm doing these podcasts. <laughs> How does she know? Sorry, sorry. Oh, that's all good. Because I have the internet turned off, and everyone else would just use uh, WhatsApp or something. But uh-huh, my uh-huh. mom actually rings. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So uh, what was I saying? Anyway, it was I've known Joe for like 
30 years almost or even yeah i've probably known joe 30 years and him and i just have like this like kind of like like almost like kind of keith and mick kind of relationship you know like where we get along and then we also kind of you know kind of butt heads yeah and so it was a i i feel like it were like brothers and kind of sometimes with brothers, you can kind of treat each other like shit sometimes. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like we were both guilty of that. And it was kind of time. I, f- I feel like that we needed to step away, mm-hmm. not just to pinpoint. It was, it, it was, there was so much more than that. It was my own, a lot of personal stuff going on with me. Um, and I think musically I was getting just wanting something different. Oh, not that, you know, Davey's not that extremely different. It's the same kind of, you know, kind of music it's not mm-hmm. like i went and did a total 180 i'm gonna go do some freeform jazz or something like that but you know it was uh just something a little bit a little bit fresh you know yeah i know it's i've had a few guests on who left bands that they were in for years and they, they just had the gut feeling that they should do it was time to move on and they, yeah. none of them ever regretted they they knew then straight away that it was the right thing to do it just, yeah. they just felt it was time to move on you know and it, I mean, it, it, it was a weird thing because I was leaving Steepwater Band. And then as I was like in the process of, of, of leaving the group, Davey called me for a couple gigs. That's crazy. It was, it what was a weird gig to get like, cause you yeah. might be thinking, oh, I'll just play with a few cover bands on the Chicago scene for a while. That's but- kind of what I was, I was like, you know what? I, 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 that was kind of my thought was like, I might just start a couple cover bands around Chicago. I could play around home. I could be home. What one reason that, that Steepwater fell apart for me was that I was on the road all the time. My, my marriage was starting to kind of suffer mm. because of that. And I was wanting to save it. Yeah. And, and so I thought, well, I could just play gigs in, in around town and be home every night and, you know, not be on the road 300 nights a year. Mm. I mean, cause Steepwater was playing, you know, like, hundred and anywhere between 150 to 160 shows a year, at least the last like 10 years. Yeah. And, and then you got to figure there's a lot of days. I mean, I was on the road, uh, you know, at least 250 nights a year. And you guys were really successful, but you weren't like ZZ top level where you get no, like, no. A, a big touring bus and a lovely hotel. And no, it was, you, you guys were the crew and the band a lot of the time. We were the you? crew in the van driving and, you know, we were just always in a van sharing hotel rooms, which is fine. Eric was my, my, my roomie and we got along great. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, like I said, it wasn't like we had all the, the comforts of home or I could afford to fly my wife out to any gig yeah. I wanted to, or it was, you know, we were out there hoofing it and, and really trying to do it and, and scraping by. And, it's, uh, it's tough like that for anyone to do that. Like it's, and, it well, is. I think you did like two and a half thousand gigs in in your tenure in the band or more even like that's probably more yeah yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a lot we that's played just... we we played a lot and that's how i learned how to play we just i mean i i gigged you know and sometimes you would have a good gig and sometimes you wouldn't and you don't do the things you did at the crappy gig and you do the things again that you, <laughs> you had it you did good at the good one you know like 